very warm welcome to our latest generation podcast um, where we look at mission in all its forms. We look at international mission, we look at domestic mission and really just trying to get the gospel of the Lord Jesus out there and, and motivate everyone to think about it, pray about it and just do it as they say in the Nike advert. So my guest today is a well-known figure on the Scottish mission scene. Um, she's been around for a wee while. Uh, she is Ruth Boggs. Ruth is presently the mission mentor uh, for Scotland and she works for Pioneers UK. Ruth, a very warm welcome to the Generation Podcast. Thanks very much, David. It's lovely to be with you. So where are you speaking to the nation from today? I'm speaking to the nation broadcasting from my little office in my house in Kirkintilla. Oh, well, sunny Kirkintilla, that's great. Okay, Ruth, um, was I right about your job title? Tell me what exactly the Mission Mentor for Scotland does. You were. It's it's quite a grand title, but it, it kind of does what it says on the tin. Um, I work with Pioneers UK as their Mission Mentor for Scotland, and a mission mentor is someone who walks the journey with people who are thinking about mission, whether that's mission at home or overseas or with diaspora or actually getting on a plane and going somewhere. And a mission mentor walks the journey from that first idea of, oh, I wonder if God might be calling me to blah, 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 to them actually starting what they're doing. So it's lots of coffee, lots of um, sitting and having heart-to-heart conversations, trying to advise, a lot of listening, a lot of praying with people, and then some practical help wherever possible, you know, in terms of it might be things like, you know, what are what are your gifts? What are the th- and what are the things that you're doing at the moment, either in your job or in your service in your home church? And how do you think God is leading you to develop that and take that further or to move into something completely different? It could be helping people to figure out what further study or qualifications they might need to to get in order to do what they think God's calling them to do. A lot of the time, too, it's walking with them and their church, because if people are going to engage in mission, they need to do that with the backing of their home church. And it may well be on behalf of their home church, or it may well be with a mission agency. So it's a very varied role and flexible uh, yeah. and individual. Yeah, I mean, that, that that is brilliant. That introduction has kind of, you know, opened up so many areas. Talk, talk to me a wee bit about mentoring. Um, do you enjoy mentoring generally? Because it seems to me that the skills that you spoke about there are skills that can be used in a very general sense. Um, have you ever been mentored and how do you find the process? I've never been formally mentored. It's quite a trendy thing to do nowadays and people talk about mentoring and mentoring schemes but actually from I was a child I was discipled you know and that's the same thing Mm -hmm. and there have been many people who many older and more mature Christians over the years that have provided input into my life and sometimes have called me out on things that I've been doing or thinking or behaving and you know have helped me on my journey with God. I remember you know once I had a relationship with a missionary lady in France who I always kind of looked on as what you would now term a mentor because I was 
I learned from her. You know, any time I was with her in France, I would watch what she was doing and watch how she conducted her life and her relationships and tried to be like her and tried to adapt what I did to learn from the things that I saw of God and of mission in her. So, yeah, I I, I think mentoring these days is, is as I said, a, a very trendy word to be using, but really I think it's about discipleship. Okay, that's really helpful because, you know, I agree with you. So many folk talk about mentoring as a kind of thing and their skills to be learned, but it is just really natural. And all of us come across folks in our lives who speak into lives, friends who influence us. Um, tell me a wee bit about your story, Ruth, about your journey into cross-cultural mission. Well, I was brought up in a Christian family. I'm, I'm quite old, so it could be a long story. Um, but I was brought up in a Christian home and became a Christian when I was six, when I, I realised for myself that actually mum and dad's faith had to become my faith. It had to, I had to own it for myself. And very simply in my bedroom, I asked Jesus to come into my heart a few times and never really felt any difference. And then one Sunday night, I was walking out of the, the wee gospel hall that we went to in, in a village called Stonehouse in Lanarkshire and I just started crying and mum and dad were like what's up with you and I, I remember wailing I want to get saved so they were like oh right okay back into the church spoke to the chap who had been the preacher that night and we prayed and when I came back out of the church at that point, I felt, yeah, that's it's been done. And I think the, the issue with that was the Romans 10 and 9. You know, if you will believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. And I remember sitting in the car after it, we, we had gone to this open air meeting. It was back in the days when you had the open air meeting after the church service. And uh, all these old ladies from the church coming and kissing me and being so tough that I had become a Christian. And I'm like, what's the big deal? I've just, you know, I've just taken out, taken on my relationship with Jesus for myself. So that was the start of my Christian journey. Uh, I was baptised when I was 11. I joined my local church fellowship when I was 17. And all through the years from when I was about 10, I was involved in Christian music and sang in a choir and then moved it on to in a, a singing group and I think that was really one of the things that started me with the whole mission journey uh, because I could use my musical giftings to tell people about Jesus. Going back to when I was a child I, I remember being about eight or nine in church and, and a speaker was doing the kids talk and he was asking you know why what do you want to do when you grow up and you know, being in a village, there were people, young kids were sticking their hands up and saying, I want to be a farmer, I want to be a fireman, I want to be a nurse. And I remember I stuck my hand up and said, I want to be a missionary. And that was the first time I had really articulated, yeah, I want to be able to tell people about Jesus. Um, so music became the route for that, other than wherever I went in work, I would put my cards on the table you know, right off for, at some point in the first week of being in a new new place I would mention somewhere that I was a Christian and that set my standards for me you know the other people would then hold me to that you know you would get though 
you said you were a Christian, you know. So that gave me some good conversations in the workplace. I um, When I left school, I worked in a bank for the first 13 years of my career and quite often tried to get out of the bank and into some kind of Christian ministry. But God always closed the doors and I stayed in the bank and tried to stay as a faithful witness there and share my faith, share what God had done for me, be draw alongside people that were struggling, all of those kind of things that Christians are supposed to do. Um, and then when I was 29, God led me to work with an organisation called Youth for Christ. So I spent a few years with them running a big youth event called PowerPoint and doing various other things. We set up some discipleship programmes for young people in Glasgow and um, I did that for a while. Then moved to Mission Aviation Fellowship. Who I say moved to Mission Aviation Fellowship. The practicalities of that were they were in the office next door in our building and persuaded me to come and work with them. So I did that for a number of years as their youth manager, and that let me see firsthand missionaries who were working in Africa because I took out some short-term teams to Tanzania when I was working with MAF, and I got to know some of the missionaries really quite well, which that was a real eye-opener and a real blessing as well because it gave me a bit of an understanding of some of the challenges that, that mission workers face you know, Can so I stop that, you there? I'll, I'll stop you there and then we'll come back to that wee minute. Can you remember what your impressions were the very first time you got off the plane in Tanzania, first few days in a mission situation? Yeah, you're asking me to look back to 2002. Mm -hmm. um, I remember, remember struggling because I had taken these anti-malarial tablets and... Um, they, they, they didn't affect me very well. So for the first wee while, I really struggled. And of course, I had the responsibility of a team of 16 young people. But I remember coming off the plane and meeting up with a missionary who was meeting us. And, uh, you know, just seeing these folks going into their house, seeing how they lived in an African environment and being really quite, impressed that they had left the normality of their UK or I think in this this chap's experience his um his um life with his family and how they were settling into that different life and the completely otherness of the culture that they were living in and trying to fit into that but keep their own identity within that as well. So that just that balance of the two. Right. Oh, that's good. Okay, well, let's go back to Missionary Aviation Fellowship. You worked with them. Uh, what, what came next? Um, after Missionary Aviation Fellowship, my pastor of my church had contacted me to say, well, the elders would quite, we've, we've all agreed that we would like you to come and work with us here at your home church. And I was like, oh, right. Mm -hmm. Hadn't quite ever thought of that. So I prayed about it and felt that God was leading me to do that. And I worked for two and a half years as the new ministries coordinator for my home, my then home church in Bishop Briggs. That involved 
looking for ways to engage the church with the community. So I became a community counsellor, um, which brought me into networking opportunities with the local council. I ended up sitting on a number of committees representing the church with the council, um, trying to find out ways that the church could serve the local community and be an, an open door for the community, both in terms of individuals within the community, but also at the kind of governance side of things. And, and that was a very interesting time. And actually, some of the relationships that I built then are still ongoing to this day in, in terms of um, engagements with some of the council officers and some of our local councillors, actually. Um, at the same time as that, I was also working in my spare time on setting up an outreach cafe for nightclubbers in Glasgow. Um, we we tried to open up a cafe that we called Sanctuary in the city, where we wanted it to be a 24-7 place that would be available for young people, for clubbers, for anybody to come, a safe space, non-alcoholic cafe that folks could just come and learn about Jesus. So I left the church job to go and run that. And unfortunately, it crashed and burned fairly spectacular. I mean, it didn't literally burn, but <laughs> we, uh, we we just weren't able to make it work from a financial point of view. And from there, I actually had a fairly significant breakdown right. because um, of the stresses of uh, various things, but, but the stresses of that dream dying. Um, okay, can I unpick that a wee bit, if, if, yeah. if you don't mind? That's a sense in which it's quite liberating to hear about something that didn't work uh, and something which, unfortunately, maybe had a negative impact on you. Looking back on that scenario, um, what did you learn? Is there things that you... What did you learn about yourself? What did you learn about the way the whole thing w was set up? Um and what positives did you take out of them? I learned so much through all of that. Um, it was a year after the cafe had to close before I, I felt well enough to go for some counselling and to start to unpick um, some of the issues to do with that. And I would, I, one thing I would say is that I would highly recommend when people are in a position where they feel they can almost take the plaster off the wound to go for counselling, to get some professional help. Um, I went to see um, HealthLink 360 in Edinburgh, which is a, a Christian medical service that does a lot of work for missionaries, but they also will help people unpack things with a Christian counselling service. And I found that really helpful. I mean, I think the biggest thing that I learned was compassion in failure. Um, and, you know, this, this experience has stood me in such good stead in the roles that I've been in with subsequently with Africa Inland Mission and then with um, with Pioneers, because so many missionaries have things that go wrong and they feel like failures. And I felt like a complete and utter failure and embarrassed, uh, bowed, cowed, whatever word you want to use. Uh, and I had to learn that, that just because you're doing something that God called you to do does not necessarily mean that it will be a resounding success. Mm -hmm. And I think we have a responsibility in the way that we teach our Christian young people that we don't 
instill in them this sense of, yes, the Bible says, ask and you will receive, you know, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be opened. But when we teach those kind of things out of context, we have we end up giving people the idea that if you follow Jesus, nothing will ever go wrong. And that is so not the case, you know, and, and Jesus said himself, in this world, you will have trouble. Mm-hmm. But do yeah, not, uh, you know. One of the reasons I'm kind of hovering over this is that, you know, a couple of months ago, I was at a meeting, an online meeting, and I was talking about how is the church coping in COVID. And this one church leader says, our church is doing really great. The money's up, the numbers are up, folk are being saved. It is a phenomenal time. There was not a hint of negativity. And the effect of that is lingering with me to this day. It was really to, to make me demoralized and discouraged so ironically it's great to hear of you know an authentic story like yours which we all have of something that you went into with the greatest intentions but it just it just didn't happen I mean do you think your personal identity was too bound up in the success of that enterprise I don't know about my identity being bound up in it. Um, I think I had never really failed at anything before. Um, you know, I'd passed all my exams at school. I had always had favour with whatever job I had done. I had, you know, everything that I touched seemed to seemed to work. And then all of a sudden, this big thing that was fairly high profile didn't work, and it seriously didn't work. And it, it didn't work because, partly because we we went into it naively. Um, you know, looking back now, if I was going to run a coffee shop now, I would probably have spent a couple of years working in a coffee shop and learning how it worked from the ground up. And I didn't do that. Um, but I, I think one of the things that I, that I learned through all of this was that it's, well, well to, to go back a wee bit, I think the other reason that the, the Cafe didn't work was it there was a massive amount of spiritual warfare going on. Um, we had a board of five people, and whilst we were at the, the real cutting edge bit of the cafe starting, um, the lady on the board who was our catering expert, she was diagnosed with cancer and was taken completely out of the game because she was going in for treatment and operations and all of that. So she couldn't do what, what she was able to what she was there to do. Um, another couple of folks on the board had had serious personal issues that that were raised up right at that time. And our other member of the board, the day that we got the keys to the premises, a lorry sideswiped her car on the motorway. Um, and I mean, she wasn't seriously injured, but it, it just was a demonstration of that warfare. The day we were opening um, first thing in the morning, there was a major gas leak outside the building um, in our gas meter. The second thing that happened was at lunchtime, the council shut the water off, and which is not <laughs> when you're having your first day of a coffee shop. Unbelievable. Um, yeah. They decided to um, do some water work up the street, so they shut the water off for the whole day. And then the third thing that happened was we were opening at five o'clock, and at four o'clock, every toilet in the place backed up and flooded into the cellar of the building where all of our, you know, where our ice machine yeah. was, where our, yeah. our pubs for um, our Coke and all of that kind of thing were, were. So we had all this effluence, you know, in the, and at that point I was like, 
yeah, guys, we need to just stop and pray because this is not natural. So, you know, it, it was a it was a real sally into serious spiritual warfare. But to to come back to your question, um, I think one of the things that I found have found a real blessing out of that has been the the way that I can now understand and empathise with missionaries when they talk about their struggles. Because, as you said, we all have struggles. Um, we all have things that don't go according to plan or just the stuff of life that is tough. You know, people get sick, people die, people things, problems happen, things come at us out of the blue. And if we're the people that are always fine, mm-hmm. how are people going to ever going to come to us for help and for counsel and to see what God has got to say about it? You know, if, if, if our neighbours... If every time they ask us how you doing, if we're always fine and smiley, then they're never going to come to us when stuff's rubbish for them. And that's certainly what I've found with with missionaries. Yeah, yeah. I mean, do you find that missionaries are under pressure to tell good stories all the time? I think that used to be the case. I think it's not so bad now, but I, I do think that it's, it's always a challenge when missionaries are writing their prayer letters back home, you know, to be able to have fruit to talk about or good news stories to tell. And, you know, they're expecting that their home church is wanting to hear what are you accomplishing when sometimes it's just a really hard slog. Yeah, yeah. And don't you find that missionaries are in so many different situations? Some are, you know, uh, up in the west coast there, if you're out fishing for mackerel, you put a line in and you're just pulling them out. You can pull a hundred out, you just put a line in. Other days you're fishing all day and you get nothing. You know, mission situations are like that. You know, you can think of some place in South Asia that are, the heavens are like lead. And yeah, other places the church is is booming. Um whoa, whoa, what do you find there um, the response? Does everybody love a winner? Um, I think people do love the triumphant stories. And I think that's why missionary biographies often sell really well. Um, But actually, what I find more helpful in terms of these missionary biographies are the ones where people talk about the reality and people talk about the tough times. I mean, one of the the books that I found really helpful when I was struggling was Helen Rosevere's um, autobiographies, you know, um, Lord Give Me This Mountain and He Gave Us a Valley, because she was just real. She talked about when she was in a huff with God. She talked about when things went horribly wrong and how she didn't always respond in the kind of holy and and perfect way that you're supposed to, but that she was actually having a moan or having a strop. And I just found that so helpful to hear the reality of people's lives and how they work through. And I think God wants us to be real. You know, he knows us through and through. And I think I think he he it's so helpful for us to know that he wants us to be real with him and that he can take it when we're real. And I think as far as churches are concerned and missionaries, the more that our missionaries are allowed to be real, the better it is and the better supported these missionaries will be. And actually, the more the church will benefit as well, because so much of what 
our missionaries are doing, whatever they're doing, can be applied back home as well, you know, in terms of cross-cultural mission where we are. Yeah, I mean, moving on, um, I was involved or I attended a webinar that the Pioneers facilitated on Monday evening um, and it was a super webinar. We'll talk maybe about other webinars you'll be doing at the end of this. But it, it was really uh, talking about being, how can we be a, a good sending church? Can I just broaden that out a wee bit, Ruth, and ask what do you think the signs are of, of a mission-motivated church? I mean, what I mean by that is what are the elements of culture in that local church? How can you tell? What are the fruits of that? It's a good question. I think I would want to answer it from a couple of angles because we can talk about the church as being the building or we can talk about the church as being the people. And I think when you walk into a church building, you can tell whether it's a mission-minded church by just the way it is. You know, is it welcoming? Is it easy to come into? What are the what are the things that that church building is engaging with? The, you know, the ways in which it's engaging with the community. You know, does it have a coffee shop? Does it have, um, you know, is it easy to find your way around? Are there people there that will be welcoming? Uh, you know, how will you find your way around? How how um, how easy is it to figure out if you're in there for the first time? How easy is it to figure out what you're supposed to do? Are you supposed to do anything? You know, are there traditions there? Is it? Are you not allowed to sit in Maisie McGinty's pew? You know, <laughs> all of those kind of things about the building. But I think in terms of the people, how how engaged are the people in? Their community. How engaged are they with what's happening in their community, and how does that filter into what happens as the church family? So I think those are interesting questions to ask of a of a church fellowship. Great, yeah. and I think as well. I mean, I think these things are absolutely right. A church is outwardly focused, and you know, doesn't make assumptions that people speak the language of Zion, as we used to call it. Yes. Um, increasingly, you know, the walls between home mission and international mission are coming down. You, you've alluded to some of them there, you know, the outward focus, the issues that we cope with here in Scotland are similar to many of the issues in, in Somalia. Well, how you get a church to be more international? I mean, I look upon, you know, folks say, well, what do you do, David? What do you do? It's a bit like, I say, it's a bit like I'm trying to, with others, heat up a bath um, that's maybe tepid. And I'd love the bath to be warmer towards global mission. So how can a local church be warmer and be more expansive and internationalist in its perspective? I think there are many things that the local church can do. And, you know, it's everything from sending people out to go and experience something overseas um, you know, and cross-cultural in that way and come back and, and talk about it. Because if you send, particularly if you send your young people off on a mission trip somewhere, they will come back inspired and enthused and they will want to do stuff. Okay. okay. So I'm hearing a voice of friends of mine that would say short-term mission 
are kind of exotic holidays for rich people. How would you respond to that? I think they have a point. I think it depends on the short-term thing that you're um, going to send people to. The number of young people, students particularly, that I've spoken to over the years, um, who have, have said to them, why do you want to go and do short-term? Oh, I want to change the world. I want to make a difference. Yeah, right. You're not going to make a difference in two weeks in Tanzania. You know, get real. It will change you. It will not particularly change the place that you're going to. And I think it really depends on the kind of short term. I would suggest sending people out to go and visit missionaries, to go and see what's happening, not to go and do stuff. Because yep. what you do is not going to make a big difference. And it certainly it, it can often do more harm than good. So I would be selective about what I would send people to do in terms of short term. But to take people out of their own culture, whether that's overseas or whether it's taking a bunch of young people from, or not even young people, just a bunch of church folk from, well, for example, a bunch of young of, of folk from Smithton in Inverness and send them to go and volunteer with Glasgow City Mission for a week. You know, put them into a different culture and let them see what that is like. Um, so that that would be one thing that would give people experiences. But but even just on the simple level for everyone, you know, to, to challenge folks in the church about reaching out in mission. You know, we have such good news to share and we keep it to ourselves so easily. And we talk about you know, cross-cultural mission. Oh well, you know, there, there aren't any other cultures in my in my town. You know, and I, how can I do cross-cultural mission? Well, what did you have for your dinner last Saturday night? You know, did you perchance go out for curry, or a Chinese, or you know, Thai, or what? What did you do? Who who's on your football team if you're playing five sides? Who's there? For for stuff to be cross-cultural these days, it doesn't necessarily have to be international um, because so yeah, much... I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I had a haircut on Monday and the barber was from Kurdistan and it was absolutely amazing because halfway during the haircut, another customer came in and the guy said to the other customer, when I'm finished this gentleman, you'll have to excuse me for five minutes, I have to go and pray. And, you know, my jaw dropped and I thought, wow... So I'm able to have this conversation with this Muslim guy from Kurdistan uh, who is really almost chuffed <laughs> that someone is talking to him about faith. Okay, it's a different faith. But so there am I in a barber shop in Edinburgh engaged in cross-cultural mission and evangelism with this great guy and, and we're having this phenomenal conversation but you don't even know it yeah that that's exactly that's exactly the point i was was making there is that i think we need to be equipping our church members to be aware of the opportunities to talk about faith to talk about church maybe but to talk about jesus you know to and i think particularly from an islamic point of view to not be frightened to strike up conversations with Muslim folks to because as you discovered yourself you know Muslim people will will just love to talk about faith and there are so many connecting points between Islam and Christianity that if you know 
where to start. You know, don't start with Jesus. Start with with Adam and God and the prophets and you know Noah and Jonah and all of these people that they have in common with with Christianity in the Quran. Um, you know, and if you're thinking about well, that's all very well for you to say, but how do you how do you go about that? How do you go about learning to do that? Well, there are a number of courses that you can get your church to do, you know, whether it's friendship first from InterServe, um, or you know, there are various various other tools that you can use. There are some great books that you can read. There's a, a really encouraging book called Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus by a, a, a Muslim guy called Nabil Qureshi, which I had you know focused yeah, folk had said to me about it for years and I was like, yeah, yeah, whatever. And then I eventually read it. I was like, oh my word, this book's amazing. Just to to hear an articulate, um, educated, intellectual Muslim trying to disprove Christianity and trying to prove to his Christian friends that, that Islam was the one true way. And of course, his Christian friends trying to do the opposite. And the more that Nabil looked into it, the more he realised, wait a minute, my Christian friend has a point here. I need to look into this. And it's just so well written, so such an easy read and inspiring in terms of how easy it can be to have a sensible, gentle conversation with Muslim friends. But of course, you have to have Muslim friends before you can have those conversations. Yeah, absolutely, because, you know, uh, I don't know if you find that one of the ironies of being involved in mission is <laughs> you don't meet many non-believers. At least, uh, you know, uh, at my level, I'm always meeting with churches all the time. So you have to make an intentional effort to go out there and just to have conversations with people. The older I get, the easier it is for me to have conversations, I think folk just becoming a daughter old man or something, but it's really uh, easy to do that. Okay, can just to open a wee bit about, we were talking on Monday evening about supporting churches. Tell me what a good supporting church looks like. I think it cares about the people it's sent and it, it cares about relationship. So a good sending or supporting church will not just be about putting its hand in its pocket. You know, it won't just be about sending money to keep people on the field, wherever that field may be, whether it's in Birmingham or Botswana or wherever. It it will have structures in place or it will, will build structures that will enable it to do those practical things well. But it will also keep in contact. You know, it'll have Zoom calls with their mission partner. It will send things to the mission partner. You know, just things that you would send to your friends, you know, stuff of life, really. You know, it will remember birthdays. It will um, send people out to visit. All, all of those kinds of real practical things that will be an encouragement to the missionary. It'll keep them up to date with what's happening in the church. You know, even from as simple as sending the church bulletin on a regular basis to the mission partner or letting them know when, you know, Fred and Nancy got married or um, Jimmy died or, you know, these different kind of life events or, you know, Anne and Anne and Bobby had a baby, and here's some pictures. So just easy, practical things are 
good supporting church things to do. And of course, they will pray um, like mad for their missionary. Yeah, yeah, absolutely tremendous. Um, what about, I'm thinking maybe of a church, it's a small church, but it's beginning to develop an internationalist passion, if not perspective. Uh, and it's kind of looking for an avenue to express this. What would you recommend to them? If they have someone within their congregation who wants to go to somewhere, then of course they can get behind them 100%. If they don't, then they can connect with those who are doing cross-cultural stuff um, and, and support them. So it might well be that maybe the church along the road has missionaries that they can partner with that church along the road or another church within the denomination. Um, for example, one of the things we were talking about on, on Monday night was there's a you new know, Aaron Free Church as missionaries out with, with pioneers. And, you know, there are the two churches on Aaron are, are small fellowships and they're working together to support this this family who are overseas serving. But other churches could join with them and partner with them and get involved in, in being a part of that. Um, they can develop an international mindset. Um, you know, even just things as simple as watching the news and bringing the information, bringing the things that are happening around the world into the church for prayer, for action where that's helpful you know for example if we're talking about local mission um what about church members volunteering these days to help with the the community-based um deliver food delivery and, and helping people you know that are struggling that are shielding or that are you know that can't get out in these covid days um but internationally thinking about the issues that are happening around the world, about, you know, helping after the Beirut explosion, for example. You know, there's a, there are a number of Christian organisations that are very involved on the ground there. You know, there's a Baptist um, organisation that's, that's trying to help people on the ground in Beirut. You could support them. You could hear more from them. Even things, as again, as simple as reading through Operation World, that, you know, the book. Yeah. You know, get the church looking, maybe have a feature on that once a week. Um, you know, pick a country every week at church and, and give some information on that. Actually, speaking about that, um, Pioneers, during lockdown, we've produced a resource called Lockdown Lowdown, which is a five-minute um, PowerPoint presentation with some video stuff and some ch supporting children's resources that just talks about a different country every month, gives some information on the country and tells a story of a missionary who's serving in that country and some prayer points for that country, as I say, backed up by children's resources that the kids can look at as well. Um, so that's... that's. Where can we access that? 
you can um, get it from me. Actually, Mary McPherson gets it every month and it can be, I think she was talking about putting it up on the Free Church website. Okay, we'll look into that. Again, if you want more information, email us at mission at freechurch.org. Uh, we'd, we'd love to be able to spread that around. We're moving towards the end now, Ruth. Um, any more webinars coming up that we should be aware of? Yes, there's another webinar on the 3rd of November, which is entitled Team Ministry. What's that? So these webinars, they're about, they're about looking at some of the issues that, and the questions that people might have about starting out on a journey into some sort of mission. They're not pioneer sales pitches. The first one we, we did was about identifying your calling and gifting. Second one was about choosing a mission agency. Last week's there was sending, to what is a sending church and do I need one? This next one that's coming up is, as I say, team ministry, what's that? And it's about... Uh, Pioneers works in teams, and why is that important? Um, what, what does that look like? How would I fit into a team if I'm working in a team in my home church or with an agency or or going out with a church team? Why is team Why is team good? Why is it important? Um, so that's on the third of November in the evening. We then have a whole weekend of really investigating, and this is more of a Pioneers thing, mm -hmm. um, but it's looking at the core values of Pioneers so that if folks are thinking about serving with us, are we a fit for them? Are they a fit for us? And that's one of the important things about my role as a mission mentor is it's not about dragging people to Pioneers, it's about helping people to find where they fit where God is calling them to serve and then helping them to get there. So that's why we're doing these webinars, so that people can begin to think through some of the some of the questions that they have and some of the answers to those questions. And then after right. after Christmas, we are going to be looking at some really practical things like what is business as mission? What about singleness in mission? Um, what about taking children to the mission field? How does that work? A lot of these practical questions so there's lots more to come after christmas it's been good talking to you again where can folks get information about these up and coming webinars they can contact me um which is ruth at pioneers-uk.org um which is just a trip off the tongue um or they can contact pioneers direct either through the website uh, which is pioneers-uk.org and um, any, any Pioneers person is always their first name and then pioneers-uk.org. So you, a general email would be hello at pioneers-uk.org. So I've thrown a lot of email addresses at you. Great. No, I mean, Google these days, even if you Google Ruth Box Pioneers, they will get to you. That's and right. um, maybe even get to that beautiful song that I heard you singing recently. <laughs> Uh, about COVID, <laughs> uh, that's a tantalising little advert out there. So I, I, I don't know if it's on the web. Um, it is. Is it where would they find that? So that they would, know what I'm talking about. They would find it on um, Premier Christian Radio's Sunday Night Live YouTube channel uh, yeah. for last Sunday. Um, last Premier Sunday being last Sunday was the what the 18th was it something like that. Uh, I haven't yes. a clue. I, I never know what what day of the week it is. No. 
Ruth, thank you. I mean, do folks do listen to that song. You'll see that Ruth is a singer as well as a mission mentor. Ruth, thank you very much for joining and we hope we'll have you on again uh, to talk about other more specific things. Thank you for talking to us today. You're very welcome. It's been a delight to be with you. Thank you.